0: Do you have a second? We need a second to talk. Uh, This might not be easy, but let's sit down for a second. Hey, it's Seth. And this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second after this message from our sponsor. Everybody has a camera. Hey, it's Seth. And in five years of developing the future of online learning, we've discovered a huge gap between in-person instruction and what works online. Everybody has a camera. In in in-person instruction, you are looking at someone giving you a lecture. But for online learning to function, it has to be the cohort. We see each other. We work with each other. The Alt-MBA is a workshop. It's a workshop because it's not about the lecturers. It's about you, your work, and how you can grow. Find out more at altmba.com. A new session is starting soon. Difficult conversations. There are tons of books on difficult conversations. People spend weeks, months, years avoiding them. Difficult conversations get our culture stuck, or actually the fear of difficult conversations. And so we keep a bully on our payroll because we don't want to have a difficult conversation with them. So we avoid talking about a living will or the changes in our climate because we don't want to have a difficult conversation. What makes it a difficult conversation anyway? I think most people would agree that if there's a fire in your house and everyone's asleep, It is not a difficult conversation to run around waking everybody up to get the hell out of the house. So what makes something difficult? I want to argue that a difficult conversation is difficult because we want two things, not one thing. If all we want is one thing, everyone get up and get out of the house. It's not difficult because it's direct. It is obvious what we should do. It's only difficult if we want two things. We want someone to change and we want them to like it. We want someone to stop doing something and we want them to not be mad at us. We want someone to change their behavior and we still want them to be our friend. We want an employee to change his or her output, but we also want them to continue to like and respect us. When there are two things we're trying to do, the whole conversation gets a lot more difficult because we magnify the impact of one or the other, whichever one is harder, and so we avoid it altogether. Let's break this into several pieces. The first one is this. If we are having a conversation where we have authority and we don't care what the other person thinks of us when we exercise the authority... It is not a difficult conversation. So, when the TSA person says to you, you're in the wrong line, you have to stand over here, that person has authority, they have confidence in their job security, they are not viewing this as a difficult conversation. But if either of these two things aren't true, that's when it becomes a difficult conversation. Either you don't believe or you don't have authority, or You do care what they think. The easiest way to move forward then is to either remind yourself that you have authority or figure out how to gain authority or possibly not care about what they think because it is so important, because the house is on fire, because the mission is in jeopardy, that it's okay to be direct and to simply have the important conversation without a lot of concern about the other side. But most of the time, we're stuck. We're stuck because we want them to change and to like it. And for that reason, I think it's important to talk about enrollment. Enrollment says, I have voluntarily signed up to go on this journey. I want to go where we are going. Enrollment means that the person you are talking to wants you to tell them, the best way to get to where you are going. So to pick a very literal example, if you are part of a journey for people going by dog sled to the North Pole and you've done the math and figured out that you don't have enough rations to make it all the way there with all four of you, well, then you can have a conversation and the conversation begins like this. We are all enrolled in going to the North Pole. All four of us are here for a very specific reason, to go to the North Pole. All four of us cannot go. We do not have enough food. Therefore, one of us is going to need to stay in this village and not join us. I have decided Bob is going to stay here, and this is why. Bob doesn't have to like the fact that you chose him, but Bob, if he's enrolled in the idea of a journey to the North Pole on behalf of everyone can hear that and then you can use your authority to make it clear that you have made a decision. So if you have an employee who is enrolled in the success of the enterprise, it is completely different than having a conversation with that employee if they are simply enrolled in their own success. So the best way to move past a difficult conversation is to spend far more time on enrollment. What does it mean to be a citizen? What does it mean to be a team member? What does it mean to be an active part of a relationship or a family? Well, maybe what it means is that we are enrolled in a journey for all of us. Now, you can't just do this when you need a compromise or a contribution. You have to do it when you have resources to share as well. That the three musketeers were the three musketeers because of the one for all and all for one part. And they lived it in the good times and the bad times. Too often in an industrialized culture, that's not the way it works. In an industrialized culture, the boss is the boss taking everything that they can, giving the workers as little as possible. And so, the deal is really clear. The workers have been trained to give as little as possible because if they give more, the boss is just going to take more. This one-sided interaction doesn't work when you hit a speed bump because when the employees are asked to contribute of their own free will without authority requiring it, they don't. Because for all those years, you weren't mutually enrolled in going someplace together. And so the way we change our culture is by earning trust and enrollment first. Once we have trust and enrollment, then difficult conversations become a lot less difficult. The coach for the bicycling team can say to one of the riders, you are enrolled in this journey of winning the race. I notice that you're not activating your hips when you're riding. If you activate your hips when you're riding, you will go faster. It's not personal. It's not a difficult conversation because they both want to go faster. They are enrolled in a journey. That's different than you're stupid and you're ugly too because nothing can be done about that. That is personal. That is hurtful, and it's not based on mutual enrollment in where we're going. So to summarize this, if you have authority and it is important to you to get to where you are going, and you've already exhausted all of the mutually beneficial ways to go forward, then the only way to go forward is to not make it a difficult conversation, but to make it a direct one. No, there isn't enough here for all of us. You're not going to be able to join us. No. We've intervened several times to change your behavior. It hasn't worked. You can't stay here. That when we can offer a respectful ultimatum to one of the people that we work with, for example, hey, John, you're yelling. You're yelling at people. It's not okay to yell at people in this office. If you yell at people in this office again, you're going to have to leave. You can't stay here if you're going to be the person who yells at folks, and there's a line in the sand, and I'm not prepared to have you cross it. That's not a difficult conversation because it is based on a clear, mutually understood standard for what it's like around here. It's based on enrollment by each party in getting to the place where we can build a place where we can work together that makes us both happy. It stopped being a difficult conversation because I didn't care whether John was going to be happy with me or not when I said it because I didn't want to work in a place where someone yelled at other people. And then the second option. And the second option is when you have the chance to invest in enrollment, to live and be very clear about the fact that we're on a journey together, that when you can contribute, you contribute. And when you need people, on the other side to contribute, they will contribute because the goal is the point. But you can't have it both ways. You can't require people to be enrolled in a journey with you if you're not prepared to be enrolled in a journey with them. Difficult conversations are important. The best way to have them is to get rid of them and just make them direct conversations instead. hope that resonates. We'll see you next time. We'll be back in a second with questions from previous episodes. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. If you want to learn to ride a bicycle, don't watch a video, don't read a book. Hey, it's Seth, and I'm here to talk about the Akimbo workshops. These are interactive, real-time, online workshops that work. And we're devoting 2020 to finding one that matches where you need to go. If you're ready to level up, I hope you will check out akimbo.com to find out about our proven
1: effective workshops.
0: Thank you to all of our regular listeners and for those who are just stopping by. We love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any previous episode, I hope you'll visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and press the appropriate button. Hi, Seth. My name is Edward Guest, and I'm an independent filmmaker in Pasadena, California, I have a question about your episode, Why Is TV So Bad? Um, Because unlike a Kindle book, there's a huge production cost in creating even the simplest television show, even if there are many more means of distribution than there used to be. Uh, Game of Thrones, which you mentioned, cost millions of dollars. So how can we sustainably create risk-taking television if you uh, aren't a network like HBO? Thanks for everything you do. Appreciate it. This is a great question and something that we have been touching on over and over again inside of this podcast, which is that there is a direct relationship between several factors. The first one is, how open is a channel, a media channel, to new voices? So new voices had very little chance to get a sitcom on CBS. There was only room for 15 or 20 sitcoms a week, at the most, and you had to know people who knew people who got you there, and just a few people got picked. But once you got picked, you had tons of resources at your disposal. Compare this to the long tail of being able to have a podcast or being able to post a blog post or even put music in the iTunes store. Because just about anyone can do it, many people do choose to do it, which means that the amount of attention and thus money available to go around is much, much smaller per creator. There's still a short head, there's still some hits, there's still plenty of people who are making plenty of money, but the vast majority of people will make close to nothing. And what that means is that inevitably, the amount of money that gets spent on average producing the thing that we are consuming has to go down. The only way we can have millions and millions of YouTube videos is that it doesn't cost anything to make a YouTube video. If it cost $10 million, there would be hardly any of them. And so we get to your question about television. Because as television has shifted to more and more places for people to create stuff, the amount of money that has been spent on the typical TV show has also gone way up. And what that means is that the long tail is going to have a challenge. You can't keep making more and more expensive TV and have it be something that you can pay for. So Amazon and Netflix have paid for it with stockholder money. They've paid for it because they have found that as they increase market share, their stock price goes up. When their stock price goes up, they have more resources to use to make TV shows that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. HBO has had a flow of money coming from cable subscribers from around the country for decades, again, a flow of money. But as we see people cutting the cord, as we see Disney and Quibi and others showing up saying, we'd also like you to subscribe, the pie can't keep getting bigger. So I expect two things to happen. One, there'll be a really large boom in lower cost, but still really good, television that gets created. Because as you head out on the long tail, there's much more demand for shows that some people are going to watch, not lots of people, some people, and shows that don't cost as much as a first-rate show like Game of Thrones. And the second thing that's going to happen is there will be a shakeout. And that shakeout has to happen because people have been spending money speculatively, which producers are good at accepting, but it doesn't scale. It doesn't persist. That there will come a time in the near future where there will be just a few players in the subscription business, and they will realize that money not spent on producing more and more TV will be money that goes to the bottom line, and the public markets will push them to do just that.
1: Hi, Seth. It's Andy calling in from San Francisco. Thanks for your work. Quick question on style. I'm curious, I noticed. A lot of your sentences start with the word that, like disproportionately many. Sometimes they're not attached to other sentences and they're little fragments. I like the way you speak. I like the way you write. Um, your list kind of structural format of different punctuated clauses, I think, creates a lot of emphasis on the ideas you want to convey. And um, it's very concise. But I've noticed your style has evolved over time. Permission marketing was written in a, in a little different way way then this is marketing, for example. Um, And I'm curious if you could share, I guess, what are the milestones or shifts that you've had in your career as you've developed as a writer and a speaker? And I guess as people who are starting out, I recently published a blog post and a lot of people have complimented me on my style, which largely emulates yours. Um, But I wrote for a different audience and somebody said, hey, these are not complete sentences, please fix. Um, Kind of in the New York Times style of make sure every acronym has a punctuation mark. So I'm just curious on your thoughts about all this and what your journey has been like. Thanks.
0: Thanks for this question. I hadn't noticed the word that, but now that you say it, I hear it in my own voice. I had a real problem back in the day. I used the word just all the time. I used it as a placeholder, not simply when I was talking. Notice I didn't say just but also when I was writing. But I think I used the word that because I'm making an argument. I write the way I talk, and I talk to figure things out. And so, what I'm saying, so is another word like that. So, what I'm saying is, if this is true and this is true, then that must be true. And that's a verbal tick, a writing tick. Now I have to look for it as I work on my next project. That said, what I decided a long time ago to do was not try to sound like other people. When I was a book packager, that's what I did for a living. You can't tell which books I wrote, which books my freelancers wrote, which books the person who ostensibly wrote the book wrote, because that was our job. But after I chose to do the blog, to do permission marketing, to do the other books, I made the intentional decision to say, If you don't like the way this sounds, there are many other books for you. But I want to sound like me. I have something to say. I have a way I'd like to say it. I would like to bring rigor to that. I would like to edit that to make it sound even more like me. Something with intent, not lazy. But honing that through 7,500 blog posts has made it so that I can tell when I sound like me. And now when someone sends me a blog post that I wrote five or six years ago, I don't remember writing it, but I can tell if I wrote it because it sounds like me. And so that's the work. A, choosing to sound like you, and B, having the wherewithal to say to someone who doesn't like the way you sound, okay, thanks, thanks for the feedback, but I'm not going to change the way I sound. But you can only get away with that if there are some people who want to hear your voice the way you want to deliver it. Thanks again for your questions. Here's to health and peace of mind to everyone. We'll see you next time.
2: I just don't think it's possible or probable in in today's world to distinguish yourself as an educational institution or as a success seeker at the level of, of information gathering or information distribution. I mean, this is the information age, and you can get a great book, a great essay, a great idea anywhere. You know, and none of us can do that better than the internet, right? Um, There is no great thought leader who can outthink the internet. Like, we have data. What All MBA Gets Right is it puts you in a context where you're part of a community that says, yeah, 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 that's good. You got access to ideas, you got access to information, that's awesome, but when are you gonna show up? When are you gonna face that blank page? When are you gonna face the possibilities within you? When are you gonna face those fears? I'm not gonna let you hide. You gotta show up, and that's the hardest part. And it sounds simple, it sounds very commonsensical, but it's the number one reason why we don't write that book. It's the number one reason why we don't ask that question. It's not because we don't know or we don't have the information. We don't have an environment and we don't have a support network that makes it feel like showing up is possible for me not just possible for the success stories I see out there, but I can show up.
0: Consider the Alt-MBA. More than 3,000 alumni in 74 countries around the world. Find out more at altmba.com.